coming to you from the epicenter of global warming, where it is sub-zero temperatures in Gitmon Nation East from the United Kingdom, still in the Curry Manor. I'm Adam Curry. I'm John C. Dvorak here in uh, northern Silicon Valley, California, where uh, it's actually sunny. And it'll probably be about 65. Ah, I hate you. 65, that's global warming, right? <laughs> oh, man, it is. It, it, the, the continent is like minus 5 centigrade. It is so cold, and it's just hovering around freezing here. Well, I spent the week up in Washington where we were snowed in. Oh, that's right. um, well, that must have actually, been cozy and fun and old-fashioned yeah, uh, snow okay. Christmas. It was good. I got to throw snowballs. You know, we have a hill in our, you know, we have actually from the driveway down. So we were, you know, uh, all drank a lot uh, and uh, went down the two inner tubes at midnight and um, <laughs> bounced around a lot. And I, made a I, wait a minute. Let me, just, let me just get a visual. Okay. <laughs> I just see your fat white ass in a, in a big black inner tube. Just a, a quick visual. And so, um, and then a few snowball fights, and that was that. Um, you know, it's cold. But the thing that was interesting was the trip up, because I took a, uh, again, Virgin America, who should be sponsoring the show. Hell yeah. Uh, flight. And uh, why don't you call Branson up and tell him to sponsor the show? You know, I, I met him once in the, um, in the lounge when they were doing their Chicago inaugural flight. He's a real introverted guy. I, you know, I think he's really... Um, like the rock star figurehead and you know this is all big hedge funds and this is you know it's most of virgin uh, certainly uh, atlantic is run by i think lufthansa mm. and if you go to um well what they do is pretty smart if if you uh, take virgin atlantic at least and virgin uh, virgin america is yet another operations company but i think it's uh, menzies aviation i think does all of their ground handling and their check-in work so they've outsourced all of it it's you know it's really so the whole thing's virtual it is kind of yeah although yeah, I, if you know what you're doing in any business you can virtualize it well the first clue came um about, in fact uh, almost a year ago exactly to the date um we always get invited to the flight attendants uh, party they have a you know a party and awards and you know and you get to know most of these flight attendants if you fly it a lot particularly on the long haul flights and uh, so, it's, so it's kind of fun. And every single year, Branson always shows up and does a nice little spiel for everybody and then hands out an award. And last year, um, it was uh, via videotape. So you know mm. that that's when uh, the culture is kind of disappearing and it becomes, uh, oh, we gads, a real business. <laughs> no more fun. Well, yeah, well, that happens to everything. It's everything is a startup, you know, goes... Um gets cheap after you know they the bean counters come and say hey you guys can't keep doing this yeah well the um you know my my really my my most favorite airline has got to be easyjet i mean that that's the one that has it just everything about it works right down to speedy boarding do they have this on the on the low low cost airlines in the states john uh, the concept of speedy boarding well southwest you know, the, the originator of this whole type of it's operation was, right? yeah. was, no, actually was a company called PSA, oh, Pacific, right. South, Pacific Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. And they were bought by American or United or somebody, and they were just, I think it was, I think they were bought by, no, I, they were bought by U.S. West, hmm. or U.S. Air, I'm sorry. They were bought by U.S. Air, and the first thing they had to do is, th these airplanes that PSA flew had a smile on them. They had a big painted a smile on them and the first thing that u.s airways does is they take the smile off and then the second <laughs> thing they did was 
<laughs> Fuck right? the smile. Get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's gone. And then the second thing they did was at, on PSA, they used to have these, you know, these comedy acts. And everybody's oh, yeah, where, where, the, where the, like, you know, in, in the unlikely event of a water landing, you know, besides getting wet yeah. or some lame joke like, joke yeah, like right, that. Right, yeah. yeah, and if you're, you know, to, if you're sitting next to a child or someone acting like a child, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, put their mask on. Put yours on first and then theirs. I, I remember once um, I heard a pilot do a spiel. Have you ever heard the pilot come on and do a good spiel? No, no, I never have. The one I liked, the, and I, it was in America, I can't remember. I was a kid with my parents. I remember... We were being pushed back from the gate. So just before that happened, the pilot gets on the intercom and he says, okay, let's just put that in reverse. Easy up on the clutch. There we go. Ah, yes, we're backing up. It was very funny. <laughs> it was, and I've never forgotten that. Like, ah, that's a good joke. Well, I can't, I have a recorder on me usually and I'm always waiting to catch it because the, most of this is a, is a folklore bit because the same gags get, are, have all been recycled and every once in a while somebody will come on, they'll do it on Southwest very rarely, but once in a while, some guy will come up with the entire, the classic spiel with all the jokes. All the jokes in it, yeah. And, you know, he re re reads through the whole thing. Anyway, so they got rid of that because you, we can't have that because it's probably, you know, they don't know why, but this U.S. Air is not the most fun-loving company. <laughs> anyway, so then they, they had this, uh, they took all their routes and then they couldn't make any money on them and then they folded it. Yeah. And then they, apparently uh, the other, the, uh, there was another one, Western Airlines, and there was a couple other ones that flew out here and they got all bought up and then these guys couldn't handle it. And all that's left now is United Express, which I think was Western or one of the other companies that they bought and then the southwest cropped up and southwest the guy who started southwest is he modeled the company after psa and that's why he named it southwest which is part of the psa name but he he has his basic theory and they have speedy boarding you can uh, he says that once these airlines these airlines these carriers have to realize that a plane doesn't make any money sitting on the ground it, he wants his planes in the air yep Almost as much as, you know, he doesn't want them sitting around. They're flying. Yeah. That's and how, that's, it, the that's, that's the only, it's a spreadsheet business. That's the, that's absolutely the only way you make money. Right. So he's got those things. They land, they dump everybody out yep. and they load them up. You know what I like even better is now Amsterdam and London, uh, Gatwick, which has a beautiful new North terminal. It's been, you know, Gatwick always had a real seedy kind of connotation, but the new terminal is fantastic. They have their mm. own kind of, um, pier, their own wing, if you will, for, um, these, these short, short route, short hop flights. And there's, there's, um, there's no jetway. It's all stairs. So boom, you know, the plane rolls up. They've got the hold open before the, you know, before the plane is, before they even have the chocks in. The bags are coming out. The new bags are going on. People just are all, right off the plane. You don't have to wait for that stupid jetway. They walk down front and back. Which is ah. is great on a seven thirty seven, um, so it empties out real quick, and then everyone walks on. And, and and with speedy boarding, the only advantage is for like I think it's ten or twelve pounds extra, you are boarded first. So you know you can basically sit wherever you want. Well, I like to sit kind of near the front so you can get get off even quicker. But it's fast. Um, what I love about Virgin America, which I hope EasyJet will get, is. Uh, um, the the in seat ordering that just rocks so hard. I love that. You just sit there and go on a little screen. Boop boop. I'll have a coke. I'll have some pretzels because of course that's about all there is. Um, you know, I, I want a little model airplane, <laughs> a Virgin America model airplane, and then you swipe your credit card and, and the stewardess uh, flight attendant comes by and hands it to you. 
Yeah, well, Virgin America is, a, is, the, is the way to go. But anyway, so I go up to uh, Seattle, and I guess I landed up there, uh, and it was, the, I guess, a hub of of a disaster. The Alaskan canceled all its flights. Uh, Northwest canceled all its flights because especially Northwest had some issues. I don't know what was wrong with Alaska. And uh, so the airport was like being in Saigon and, you know, when the fall of Vietnam took place and there's people, there's, they're walking around and I guess they have these, uh, in the Seattle airport, they have these blue blankies that they give out <laughs> to people uh, that are, uh, I guess, stranded there. Mm-hmm. So they don't freeze to death. The, 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 one, the ones that are about big enough to, to cover half of your body? No, actually, these are pretty big. Huh. And uh, but it was freezing uh, because the you know it was snowing like a, it was like a blizzard outside, and so there's a bunch of these people wandering around with these blankets on. And it looked like you know the Bedouins or something. It just really had a strange feeling to it. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it was pretty funny because I was get, taking a puddle jumper um, from there, which ended, and I went down to Boeing Field to get that, and mm-hmm. that that wasn't really too bad there. I don't know what it was a localized problem i guess i don't know but whatever the case was i guess there were some people were stranded in the united states because of these this winter storm for i don't know three four days in some of these airports they couldn't get home they're moaning and groaning on tv you know they want to see their relatives and (laughs) just the same don't moan don't moan so uh, i guess a lot of them just finally got out the other day so I thought that was kind of interesting to well, experience. Well, and then this is all part of uh, the global warming, of course, which has struck America in, uh, I mean, the, is it not so that uh, there's still ice storms on the in the northeast and there's all kinds of weird weather, right? That's still ongoing since we spoke last week. Yeah, yeah, it's been going on all week, it looks like. Hmm. And there's the snowfall we had up in Washington. I mean, again, oh, flying in. You know, I'm flying in, looking down on Seattle. I have never seen Seattle like this. It was just white. Hmm. The whole thing, it was just a, just a mass of snow. Nice. Anyway. So we're, kind of um, uh, for the listeners who are hearing this on the podcast, uh, for the first time today, we're uh, streaming the show live. Um. Which was kind of funny because I was also trying to set up the phone bridge so we could take a call, but for what Skype is, I mean, this thing is so jerry-rigged. It's really held together with, you know, bailing wire and some chewing gum uh, that I just couldn't get it to work. But I think people enjoyed me trying to trying to configure it. A lot of swearing. So uh, the big news here, I come back, I'm watching the, uh, I'm watching a, I'm watching the ABC. It's still made off, I bet. No. Oh. Well, I mean, yeah, but the, the, to me, the big news is a new show they're bringing out. Uh, Homeland a Security USA? Yeah. Can yeah. you believe that? Yeah, but... Homeland didn't... Security USA? John, what, what rock have you been... Oh, you were up in Seattle. This is like three weeks ago. Same Did... thing. I... Same thing. <laughs> Seattle <laughs> rock. <laughs> no, but this... Uh, didn't we? T- didn't I mention this to you three weeks ago? No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Homeland Security well, what, USA. What was the timestamp on the mention? <laughs> it was episode number six zero, <laughs> and the timestamp. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. <laughs> this is what we always do. It's like, you know, I mentioned that. Oh yeah, what episode and what what time code? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the great thing about doing when you do a show that's an hour and a half. You know, once we can, if you did it more, you'll never find anything. It's all this is all lost to posterity in some, you know, some future date when somebody takes and transcodes everything into uh, some, you know, some way they could search it. I wonder about that, you know. Because I, I do keep a lot of stuff that I think is, is relevant. And, uh, you know, all of my, 
my uh, Dutch and American radio work is all online. Uh, uh, nice guy in Australia, clogwog.net. He, uh, he did that all for me. Now, I, I always wonder if, you know, will anyone ever give a shit? <laughs> will it just, you know, the server one day just, you know, Someone will die, no one will pay a bill, and then it's gone, right? It's just Oh, over. yeah. No, that, I think most stuff will be gone. But, but, it, but people would uh, give a shit if they, uh, if, you know, if we're talking about 100 years from now and someone's doing research of the era and there was some way of accessing some of this old material just to see what people were thinking. You know what we need? Here's, so, here's what we need. We need to get uh, a number of episodes of this show into a presidential library. Hmm. It's got to be possible. It'd be funny to be in the Bush I think Library. All the episodes should be in the pre- in a presidential library. <laughs> Damn straight. If if not the congressional library, <laughs> it, it, it would, it, all the episodes would go, as MP3s would go on one DVD. I mean, what's the big deal? We should probably make a number of DVDs of all the episodes in MP3 format, and then give them to a bunch of libraries all over the country. Yeah, see if they take them. Well, speaking, they might. yeah. I'm sorry. You know, I'm saying they might. I mean, I, if I'm a librarian, it's a DVD. You know, I'd say, you know, they have a lot of these archival libraries, uh, like the Bancroft over here at the University of California, which just essentially collects all kinds of weird crap uh, that's you know hundreds of years old, usually from family heirlooms. Well, I, and, I'm uh, in the uh, I am in the Dutch broadcast uh, or broadcast history museum. Uh, because I did all that stuff for public television, so I I know that's been kept. And it, but it's always you know the same five clips, right? Like, like yeah, that's not the same as as no. complete episodic. You know, sixty, seventy, hundred. You know how many shows? Yeah. Uh, or you know, I have I've got like thousands. Of, I've got thousands of shows. I have like all my. Um, uh, Silicon spin shows on, a, and of course I, they're in a box is scattered around the basement. And I also have actually the early stuff I did from CNET, uh, on, on big, uh, U-Matics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I um, I had, you know, those should probably be transcoded before the other stuff, before those things all blow up. And, uh, you know, it's all, you know, I don't know. I can't, I mean, it, it, it uh, this is typical of, of any kind of small operation, but they, um, at um, ZDTV, which became Tech TV, I went into the office once, and there was a pot, there was a big giant box of all my, you know, two years of my shows. And I said, "What is this box? This box doing here?" And they said, "We're throwing it out." You know, you've told and, me this story. Yeah, and so I gra- grabbed them, and then I made sure to get the, the, the as they came out. I made sure to grab them when they were going to go into another process of throwing them out. And it reminds me of, of a friend of mine uh, who's a New York uh, agent and and uh, book packager named Bob Mekoy. Uh He used to work at Dell, which was bought up by I think uh, one of the other Bantam, and then bought up by somebody else, and God knows who owns what now. So he's going, he was apparently at one of the, uh, someplace, one of their, uh, uh, facilities to get, to re- get something out of the archives. And he goes and he finds a dumpster filled to the brim with, with original art oh. that were, was cover art for all those old Dell murder mysteries and all oh, that kind no, of stuff. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Oh, that's horrible. 
Yeah, and he says, what's going on here? And the guy says, oh, yeah, we're, got a, we're got a, you know, the accountants told us we had to get rid of this stuff Clean so we up. could, you know, shrink the office, blah, blah, blah. So he grabbed, you know, whatever he could. Actually, I have four pieces that I got, and they're just really dynamite. They're oil paintings. Yeah. And... uh so he just grabbed as much as he could and filled his car, and you know because they were gonna just burn it. And I'm thinking, you know, what a what a bunch of boneheads! I mean, this could have gone on a really nice auction. I'll tell you though, because we've just gone through this exercise, um, uh, cleaning out storage, uh, really decimating the amount of crap we have in this house for the move, which starts on Monday. The, the you know, Tuesday will be in the new house, and hmm. um. You know, the, everyone says, oh, "Okay, I'll take this, and I'll, you know, I'll take this to the auction house." So we have some nice shit that we just don't want anymore. You know, you not just can't just throw it away. I'd, re- you know, much rather give it away, which is what we're going to wind up doing, because n- no one's buying anything. There's you know, auctions of of smaller, lower priced items that aren't you know specialty antiques or yes. or real collectors items. Even eBay, it's really tough. People are not buying a lot, and if, in fact, you know, when it comes to furniture. Uh, I'm not talking about paintings. When it comes to furniture, um, the experience that these guys have is people would much rather go to Ikea, buy some flat pack crap, throw it together, instead of buying something. You know, we have a quality um, 18, late 1800s uh, couch and two chairs. You know, the, I'm talking big, bombastic Victorian um, uh, wood with gold trimmings. We had them completely reupholstered. These things, when we bought them... Probably worth nine thousand dollars, maybe a little more. Um, c- couldn't give it away. No one wants it. They'd much rather. Yeah, have well, I think Ikea there's actually, shit. you know, this was in the '80s when he found this this cache of art. But I think there's probably more to it. You know, there's probably the I think the one element that I, you know, even though I express lament, there's probably the element of rights. Um, you know, artists they send their stuff in and they they still own it. And so you can't, you know, they may have sold it as, you know, there's probably like some of them were probably sold as work for hire and some of them were sold as, you know, one time North American rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's probably a whole bunch of different deals that were done to get all this art. And they probably, if you put it on the auction market, you'd get sued by one of these artists who was seeing you being ripping them off because they probably should have the piece back or who knows what. So they say, screw it. We'll just throw it out. And, you know, what can the worst worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. But I, I think. I think that goes on a lot. I think a lot of stuff is is a lot of history and a lot of I know like photographic archives. A lot of these newspapers is going to end up gone because these newspapers are you know they one company buys another, which buys another, which buys another, and then they fold. So, it. so so check this out. The New York Times. Did you know that they own part of the Red Sox? Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? We blogged that. I mean, how how how? I mean, where's the outrage on that? That that's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and so they have a, like a $400 million payment coming due in February or March, so they need to get some cash. So you know, now, I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is public knowledge, but all of a sudden I read right there in the papers like, yeah, we're, we're selling our $200 million stake in the Red Sox. Huh? In Boston, in the rival, the rival town's team? Well, the, the, the New York Times owns the Boston Globe, and I think that's a connection yeah, there. Okay, yeah, that's true. But still, it just it, the headline was really weird. I'm like, whoa. Well, yeah. Well, that's the way you'd want to play the headline to make it make make a laughing stock out of New York. But in fact, it's Boston Globe that's you know the, the, the real is the real owner. Yeah, true. So, um, 
Yeah, so I think you know these. Uh, so yeah, these shows. I, there's a lot of stuff that you. I mean, I was thinking about this with the generally, you know, generally speaking, because I, I still have a bunch of you know I, I moved some old CDs. I had a CD ROM burner, like you know version one when they first came out. They were one X. It has to. And then it finalizes for three hours. Yeah, and it was it was like it was one X. It was scuzzy. Oh, I love scuzzy. <laughs> old scuzzy CD-ROM burners. The first ones you could get the the CD the blank CDs. I think were two or three dollars, yeah. and uh, it was like a big deal. And then you'd burn it, and about every and it was like only one out of two would take. They'd always crap out. You know, the thing would blow up for some reason. It would be not nah, sorry, this and didn't work. So you'd have to do it again. And uh, so anyway, but some of those did, you know, you got a bunch of old ones. And so now some of them are actually losing data. Uh, I mean, they're already, they're not even that old, 20 years old maybe. And there's, you know, already losing data. And so you have to get, find all your old CD-ROMs that you burned and, and move the data to a DVD or as fast as you can. And uh, luckily I have a, um, there was one Plex store model that I got a copy of that was a um, considered by experts who who analyze uh, discs that you know the, to see how well they burn or whatever and um, right. the, the 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 DVD itself yeah they there's a couple companies that look at uh, you know to if you produce a, a CD-ROM burner or this was for a CD-ROM burner they they can tell you, you know, how well it did by by looking at it under, you know, electron microscope or something. Mm, okay. And uh, this guy who runs one of these companies, it's a testing company. He told me about this one particular Plex store drive. This is a few years ago, say the least. That was that was absolutely perfect in every way, and it would. And it actually, I still have it, and it will read discs that no, I've got twenty different readers. It will read a disc that none of these other readers will touch. And. Uh, but you know, then I have to get it off. That obviously, the disc itself is is flaky. Anyway, it's a real problem. I think a lot of data and pictures and everything. You know, people have to have two. You know, you back up to hard drives now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Can't trust them. I mean, and then you have to have a second one just in case. Yeah. Well. I find just having a lot of copies everywhere <laughs> usually. That's works. what I do. I have to. I have like two, three, four, sometimes more copies of the same thing. It's like clutter. Yeah. There's no reason that you have to do that in a digital age, but you know, a couple of bad experiences because this stuff is once it goes, you lose everything. Um, hey, we we're just talking yeah. about that. That um, there's a trend uh, amongst. The young, the youngins here, when they uh, when they go to a party or some kind of event, a lot of them will buy uh, the throwaway uh, film cameras, the Kodak, you know, the cartons, the carton cam, um, yeah. because yeah, you know, and then they trade those and they hand them out, and uh, sometimes sometimes they'll even make duplicates. But it's it seems like you know, there's a when someone really wants to make something they care about, there is a difference. The the the, the youth seems to value uh, traditional photographs over the digital kind well i don't know that i haven't seen that trend here i mean oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. this is this is england man we're ahead of all trends in the u.s or behind <laughs> i don't think so dude would you please go look at the hollywood box office and tell me how many english people are involved <laughs> Give me a break. yeah well that's that's true yeah yeah it is 
No, is uh, the music comes from here in uh, generally? The, mu- the big well, musical influences? Yeah. yeah, what are you talking about? The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the, the Who, Beatles. the Kinks, the Bee Gees. Do I need to go on? Do you need to get any further back in time? No, no. well, okay. All right, I'll grant you new kids on the block. You, I'm not taking them either. But <laughs> Take that. Um, Robbie Williams. Um... I think you're digging yourself into a hole. No, I'm not. I'm not. All the most of the the pop, the musical pop trends definitely come from England. It's always been that way. No. Yes. Oh, please. The 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 musical pop uh, trends. Yeah. You mean I, the bubblegum music? Well, start, really st- starting with the Beatles. If you call if you call the Beatles low end, that's where it started. Yeah. Then yes. All the Skiffle way- music. <laughs> All the way up to the Spice Girls. (laughs) Hey, here's a movie. If you have not seen this, John, you have to watch. It's a French document documentary uh, called The World According to Monsanto. Oh, yeah, I've heard about it. You have got to see this. In fact, uh, let me give you I can give you the link. I think I can. Uh, Of course, it's on Google. Hold on. Should just be able to click that. What the hell? All right, you still with me? I didn't bust you out there. No, I'm here. Okay, good. Yeah, you have to take a look. This is a French. It's on, uh, it's on Google uh, Movies. <laughs> yeah, it's on you know on, on the Google Movie Channel <laughs> where everything's available. Okay. It's on the it's on the Google where all your movies are can can, can come from. I I, uh, I got a great high quality version of It's a Wonderful Life. I actually put that on uh, on Medio today. The little piece where um, George Bailey says, "Well, your money's not here. It's in, it's in your house. It's in his house. And what do you want to get? You gonna foreclose?" Thought it was so cool. <laughs> for, for sixty years, for sixty years, this movie has been warning us about about this very moment, about what can actually happen. Every single year, it gets rolled out again. Although I must say in the past five years since they actually started to do this <laughs> to bankrupt everybody, uh, you don't see that movie around that much. So that one guy committed suicide from the, the Madoff. Uh, I saw them report this live on C- on um, CNBC. It was fantastic. They went live. They, to- sh- they showed him killing himself. No, not quite that good. But they showed a reporter <laughs> on the <laughs> a reporter on the street corner. And he's like, and it was so funny. I'm reading this off my BlackBerry. He was literally reading like a, the ABC News website. I'm reading this off my BlackBerry, and that's why I'm on the corner here, standing somewhere, I guess, near the guys. He could have been on any corner. And uh, he says, I don't speak French. Yeah. Because uh, the guy's name is Villapenu or something like that, I believe. Yeah, he's got this real, like, you know, aristocratic old French name. Yeah, here, I'll, uh, I'll look it up from the link that you I just I guess he lost me. a billion dollars of his client's money. Yeah, and then he, he figured he, he had to slit. kill himself before somebody killed him. Yeah, really. But he slit his wrist, which is a an old fashioned, that's old fashioned, uh, very old school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rene Rene Thierry Magon de la Villa. Who should, he should, fuck him? He should be dead with a name like that. Rene Thierry Magon de la Villouche. Darn. Yep. Well, every single day now, there's um, there's new. Uh, what would be the right word to describe it? Um, 
harshness coming out about this fund. I mean, the the, the amount of people who were uh, invested directly or probably worse, indirectly through these so-called feeder funds, which were essentially a fund that you would, you know, you'd put your money into a fund and that fund would do nothing but basically feed the Madoff fund. Um, yeah, how lazy can you be? Yeah, uh, in fact, the, I mean, these guys are just front. They were front loading. Front, yeah. I mean, it was just like you know, taking your money, charging you a commission, and then giving it to somebody else yeah. to do. It's like outsourcing your investment. What? 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 Cut out the middleman. Yeah. So, so yeah, they take a fee even before the money is invested. They take they were they were taking a fee. The, the writer of Forrest Gump, he's suing his broker. Uh, for investing his money uh, in, in, indirectly, one of those uh, feeder funds into into Madoff, and this is what's crazy because now there's word that a lot of the fees that and commissions that were taken will have to be paid back. So you've got you know schmucks out there who you know maybe got a a, a five hundred thousand, maybe a million dollar bonus, you know, bought a house, a car, put their kids into college, and now they got to pay that money back. Yeah, well, good. Yeah, hell yeah. It was it was so cool last night they had a movie on here a true based on a true story and it really shows you I wonder if it was it wasn't BBC but it really shows you what they're trying to do how they're trying to portray government workers you know the people from theyworkforus.org the uh, they work for she us. was a, this is a famous story she was a council worker and her job was to collect the parking meter money and uh, and then keep the accounts and, you know, what what she wound up doing is she wound up skimming and she was skimming off the top and she was doing creative book bookkeeping because she was very lonely. But she had an Elvis obsession and in her attic, she literally built a 200,000 pound Elvis Presley collection and shrine of memorabilia, which she bought at auctions uh, with this, uh, you know, 200,000 pounds. But they, but they made it like she was, oh, poor girl, you know, and then she, she was a loner, and no one had liked her, and no one was nice to her, and so it's, of course, it's, no one liked her because she was a criminal. They were like, throw the, and I kept saying to Patricia, and she, throw this bitch in jail now, and, even though I was an actress, I'm yelling at the television. But they, re <laughs> they, they really twisted the story into making it nice. Oh, but yeah, no, she was obsessed, and no one loved her, and had an evil stepmom, and her mom died. Fuck you. I don't care. Everyone's got it hard. Well, except for you. So now, uh, hey, I forgot to mention this. I was on the, you know, when I went to Portugal, I watched a bunch of movies, obviously, on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. Coming and going. So I, I, I watched, believe it or not, I watched Mamma Mia. Wow. That's, uh, I, I would only watch that if I was certain I was getting laid. It was terrible. Yeah, of course I only it watched was it because it was like watching a train wreck. And Meryl Streep, who can't sing and admits it, is just bad. And then the only reason I bring this up is because I'm watching a couple, you know, I'm watching uh, some show on TV. They're raving about this film and they're, you know, going on and on about how great it was. And she's great. What an actress, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the movie made no sense. It was stupid. The stories and the singing was dreadful yeah. and it was awkward and it was like, what were these people thinking when they did that in Pierce Brosnan? Have you seen the, the musical? No. Sure, the musical was fine on the stage, you know, if it was stage right and you had, you know, people who could, who could belt out a tune for a theater audience, I'm sure it was acceptable. Doubt it. Well, I, I think I told you that Patricia was offered to do the uh, the Meryl Streep role in the in the Dutch version, um, 
Joe from the end called her personally. You know, he's one of the end all guys. And she said, no, I hate the outfits. The songs, you know, pff, we all know them. She said, but, but her big problem was the outfits. <laughs> she, the outfits. She doesn't like the bell bottoms. <laughs> she thought, I'm like, I don't like, well, I don't want to wear that. <laughs> well, anyway, I was, I was, but anyway, the only reason I ended up watching it as much as I did, I think I saw most of it because I just couldn't, I was just, my jaw just drops, you know, what is, what is this? Yeah, about how bad it was. Yeah. Anyway, so you seen any good movies lately? Uh, now well, we got the stream going, we got to be a little more topical. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, although I'm just trying to figure out why you start. Are you downloading something? You really start to break up a little bit there. Uh, no, but let me go look. No, no. Oh, wait a minute. There's something going on in my other machine. Let me turn it off. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, while you're doing that, uh, here's... If you want to be topical, the uh, CIA is uh, now bribing Afghanistan warlords. Are you with me? Yeah. Do you know what the you know what they're bribing them with? No. Let's see. We have the choice of cash. That's always a good one. Ah. Uh, we all we have uh, guns. Another good one. But would you believe Viagra? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we're the most creative group of people is the American CIA. We really are fantastic that way. <laughs> That's amazing. Viagra. <laughs> hey, man, you're still breaking up. It's really shitty. What the hell is that? Why did that start? I'm fine. I'm, you sound good. There's nothing going on. Okay. All right. Nothing to see here. Just move on. It's just your ears. <laughs> people on the streams. Well, hopefully when you get your new connection next week, we'll have this resolved. But this is the thing. I believe, I was thinking about it last night. Because, look, what is this connection? It's 12, 12 kilobit. Like a, maybe it's a, okay, make it 100, 100 kilobit per second up, 100 kilobit per second down, right? It can't be much more than that. In fact, right. I, I can measure it right now. Hold on. I've got a, a monitor. And my just... router is set up to prioritize such things. Well, as this, this, as... this, I believe, is the problem. So right now I'm sending between 20, yeah, of course I'm, I'm sending the stream out. So, uh, 20, 230 kilobits per second. And coming in, it's only, you know, it's like one. Oh, wait a minute. Well, see, that makes no sense. Oh, that's kilobytes. So about a hundred, uh, a hundred kilobits per second. So that's not the entire pipe. So I, I immediately start thinking, wait a minute, that's got to be the priority routing. And either A, I have to change my router to prioritize Skype packets, or perhaps the ISP is uh, is doing nasty things. Mm, maybe. You know, like after after a while, they just get bored of my packets and they start to mess with them. I don't know. So as you know, I'm a big fan of one double A football. No, what is one double A football? Well, it's now called Division One, but it used to be one double A. It's the really it's, it's college football at its best because it's not you know commercialized. The guys it's very creative. There's a lot of you know experimental play calling, and they have a tournament at the end of the year, which everyone wants to, the, the big boys to do. And uh, so this team, the Richmond Spiders, won this year. And I was rooting for them since they beat the team that I was rooting for before. Mm -hmm. I'm a bandwagon jumper, by the way. <laughs> uh, the most hated of all sports fans. 
<laughs> I'm on the winning. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a study that was done that shows that the 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 the, the sports fan has the same visceral response to winning and losing as the actual people playing the game. Really? You ever see this research? Yeah, so when you are uh, rooting for the losing team and they lose, and you have the same kind of, you know, it does the same kind of body chemistry stuff to you that it does to the, I can't believe it does it as bad, but does the same thing to you as it does to the losing team. And well, if you win, the same, you know, you feel elated and it's good for you. So this is, this so, is interesting. I, I, and, and why does this take place? And, and is there a way to harness that and uh, change it so that people get those feelings when politicians screw them out of their money? Yeah, that would be good. Wouldn't it be? Because, you know, when people lose, in fact, when people win, they go out and they trash the streets. They burn cars. They, you know, loot and uh, break right, shop windows. But when there's blatant stealing going on every single day in front of their faces, like, oh, okay, I'll just go watch some one triple A football. That's cool. I like them. So anyway, so the Richmond Spiders uh, won, and I... So now I have to find some way of getting a hoodie. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> because it's got the greatest collection. logo. It's got this huge red spider on a blue background. It's really a cool-looking uh, logo for this team. But I, I, I'm, unlike Appalachian State, where uh, there's a bunch of hippies and people that would listen to this kind of show, I don't think anybody at the University of Richmond has ever heard of No Agenda, and I really doubt, you know, or the Twit. Oh, dude, we totally about. have a connect somewhere. I guarantee it. Uh, I no, guarantee no, no, no. it. Yeah, yeah, I guarantee it. You know, we got like 350 people on the stream right now. There's people out there. If you take 350 people, uh, power of six or whatever, whatever it is. Maybe. Someone knows someone somewhere. But anyway, if I get to ever get a hold of one of these things, uh, just a big spider. It's cool looking. So, but yeah, so I'm a bandwagon jumper, and I always have the, you know, in fact, I have, if you, like a Super Bowl game where there's two teams uh, that I don't care much about either one, or even if I, I do care about one, you really I'll switch sides in the middle of the in game. The, in halftime. I do it. <laughs> oh, man. I know you will. I know you It will. drives everybody crazy. No, I love How it. can you do that? I have people saying, how can you do that? How can you, you were rooted for them, now you won't, you don't even, won't even talk about them. Just because they suck. You know, the 49ers are a good example. Why should I be rooting for a team that can't win any games? It doesn't make any sense Well, to it's me. called it team spirit. Effort. It's called state spirit or city spirit, of which you yes. clearly have none. I have zero, and I don't intend to have any. I don't see why they put up. It's like a crappy product. If you, you know, what am I supposed to do? I go to it's like you get say the milk milk goes sour three days early. I'm supposed to be rooting for it. I mean, oh, I used to like this milk ten years ago. I don't, you know, I'm still gonna hope it doesn't go bad. I mean, it just doesn't. That's make any a sense. bit of that's a bit of a stretch uh, as an analogy, but I understand where you're coming from. You're coming from uh, an unloyalist perspective. No, it's not unloyalist. This is a product that's not anything more than that. Yeah, but, we're, but, we're, but we're trained a differently. Team, a basketball uh, team is a product. Yeah, but and it's, if the product sucks, I'm not rooting for it. Right, but it's supposed to be a localized product. And oh, it's just, it's just a marketing gambit. <laughs> I can't fool you, can I? As hard <laughs> as I try, I can't suck you into it. Hey, man, I'm, so, really, I'm really excited. You know Mythbusters? I'm sure you've watched that show. Oh, yeah. So, 
uh, Mythbusters. Now these are the guys. Whenever uh, I latch on to some kind of, um, alter- I think don't you? Isn't the English version slightly different? They have different people. No, it's the same guys. Okay. Yeah, uh, they may have a different chick. No, I no, I think it's all the same guys. It's certainly um, uh, what's the name? Adam and uh, yeah. We, okay, Adam yeah, and the other yeah. Guy. So it's the same ones. So whenever I latch on like uh, an alternative. Um, Energy theory or whatever, you know. Then I'm all people are always jumping on me and say, "Well, look, the MythBusters proved it wasn't true." I love it. Like the MythBusters, like these fucking jabronis are 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 the absolute <laughs> are the absolute scientists of the world, and they've got it all figured out. They make a TV show anyway. They have. I'll just read you a piece from the release. Uh, the MythBusters have finally given into the pressure. The producers have been under for several years now. The show asked the viewers to send their favorites uh, myth in, blah de blah de blah So they're going to do a two-hour special about the World Trade Center, and they are going to prove or debunk that the towers came down in free fall based upon steel that melted because of jet fuel. And the way they're doing this is they're building a one-third scale replica, which still seems pretty damn big to me. But it- No, that doesn't sound right. Uh, it'll cost $7 million. That sounds kind of right. Uh, the whole production should be about $25 million. That, you know, Boeing has donated a, a, a scale model airplane. They're, they're really going to try and do this. And uh, I'd say uh, say goodbye to Mythbusters as a show forever once they do that one. <laughs> because they'll, they'll, never, they'll never tell the true story. You know that. Well, let's see what happens when the executive producer winds up dead in yeah. an alley. Hell yeah. Who else died recently? Oh, you know, Eartha Kitt died, which kind of sucks. And I've gotten into the habit, which is a sure sign of old guy stuff. Uh, I read obituaries. Not the obituary yeah. not the obituary page, but if I'm reading the Financial Times and they have an obituary, uh, a, a playwright, uh, Britain's Nobel laureate Harold playwright. Harold Pinter died. Yeah. You know, they always die in three. So he had Eartha Kitt, Harold Pinter, and probably another one coming. Uh, I thought there was a third one. Hmm. Uh, but By the Earth- way, and that three that three thing is, is actually appropriate considering random number theory. So it's not like a you know. So anyway, the Harold Pinter death. I, I, I ran. I didn't. You know, I've heard of him, but then I read his bio. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I oh wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're like an obit guy too. No. Once in a while, I click on one, though, and I say, well, that's interesting. So-and-so died at 90, you know, or whatever. He died at 92, I think. Let me just see if I can 91 or 92. And then they put of cancer. Well, he, yeah. even if he didn't have cancer, he's pretty old. So, I mean, I don't think he had the... I mean, no, 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 no. He, did, he, he didn't die of cancer. He died of a heart attack, heart, heart failure. Eartha Kitt oh. died of colon cancer. Oh, okay, well, that she's the one that but it doesn't. I don't understand why you know some people they mention which, which, which by the way, if I die of colon cancer, please don't put that in the paper because then everyone's thinking of my ass. I don't <laughs> right. like that. I don't want people thinking of my anal cavity when I'm dead. Just you know, he, just you know, tell him uh, yeah, he's suicide Believe by me. suicide by cop is what I want. <laughs> so uh, anyway, you may get it. And thanks, um, friend. So it's, um, it's right with Pinter. I guess he was just an American basher. He just blamed us for everything. Yeah, like most British people. Is that right? Have you ever seen the Top Gear episode when they go to the United States? Even my wife was offended, and she's Dutch. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they. It's totally every single stereotype. They go through the South, and at one point they even 
paint a white pickup truck with pink letters like I'm oh, gay I or something like that? I vaguely remember. Yeah, I may have seen this one. It was, and, uh, and in fact, they were refused um, a license to, or a permit to do another documentary ever again unless they, you know, it had educational quality or value or whatever. But I, I have to tell you, it was... It was so incredibly biased, and of course, it, it was all the stereotypes are there, and it's all true. But it, it was offensive. It really was. And most Brits, you know, we, they talk about America, they all start to laugh for a little bit. There, we were kind of cool because we had Obama, and they're onto it here. They're like, oh, man, that sucks. But uh, in, but then when they meet you face to face, they fall in love with you. Yeah, well, that's typical. Yeah. But people don't understand, you know, the way we talk and the way we, we come across as being really dumb. That's just the way we are. There's nothing wrong with it. Anyway, Pinter. I can't still can't find his uh, his obituary in the paper. Yeah, somewhere. Anyway, but Eartha Kitt was... Uh, you remember her when she was uh, big back in the heyday? Uh yeah, back in the 1800s, I remember her. <laughs> she was born she, in 1927. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm recording, hon. Huh? I'm recording. Can I help you? Yeah, but you're opening the door. <laughs> she doesn't give a shit. She needs a foot rub. Uh, she just gave, got one the other day. Hmm. All right, so um, I got this letter from some guy. And I'm gonna have. I'm gonna publish it probably on my uh, my uh, blog, or maybe make a column out of it. It's kind of interesting. He says that he was he used to work in the Cheyenne, uh, Wyoming facility. They were building a Cheyenne Mountain or whatever it's called for the government, and he was working for this colonel that used to be on the uh, White House uh, uh, Wait staff. Wait a minute! Didn't you and, didn't you do this last week? Did I do this last week? Yes. Oh. So oh, I haven't done anything with this thing. I'm still trying to figure out what, what, what venue it, it needs to be repeated and repeated. Well, repeat it again because then because I did like it and and, and I like. I basically don't have what it. it. I mean, I don't have it in front of me. I had it last week. I could just. Read well, you it. were going to tell the story, so tell the story again, and then. Where? Yeah, the story is that you know the government decided they were going to do martial law during the Lyndon Johnson administration, but the Pentagon kept saying, "No, we're not going to do that because it's like ridiculous because you're a, a, a wimp." And they tried to get martial law passed three times, and they finally decided that the real problem in the United States was that we, we were getting back in the 60s. We were too uh, smart. We were getting too smart. We were getting a, an educated public. And so they had to pull the plug on it, and that, and it, and they said we're not going to we're not going to be in the business of educating people anymore. Let's just dumb them down so we have like a population that is docile. All right. Now, do you remember we went through this whole thing, and I said they've got new world yeah. order in the history books. Right. Well, the thing I forgot to put mention was a couple other aspects. The, you know, the, to to calm down the college kids during this era is when they developed the quarter as opposed to semester system. Really? Because they figured. Yeah, because they could keep the kids busier because they had more finals. They had three instead of two final exam periods, and that would keep them, you know, from. You is know, that is that that's a fact? That's fascinating. I didn't know that. And then the other thing is, if you go to the University of California, they decided to heck with it. We, you know, we're going to just raise the uh, rent 
And in fact, that's one of the things they did. Uh, and I would, that, that's actually Ronald Reagan who, who decided to add tuition to what was a free school when I went there. Uh, you know, it's a state university paid for by the taxpayers. Why am I, as a California citizen, paying to go to my school? Right. And so uh, they they ended that in around 1969 or 1970. Now they started, and then they cranked the tuition way up, so it's like really expensive. It's almost like what private schools used to be at state university. And, at a university, right, owned yeah. by the state. Yeah. And so that keeps the riffraff out or, you know, smart kids who would, you know, cause trouble. And then they said, well, let's, let's take the up the ante one more time. The, you know, I don't know if it's the majority, but there's an inordinate number of Chinese students who are mostly from, you know, across, from China and Hong Kong. <laughs> there was always a lot of Hong Kong students, even when I was there. But now they got so many, it's almost like a completely Asian campus. Yeah. And it's kept that way because these kids are, what they are they going to do? Cause trouble? They're going to get shipped back. Can I tell you something interesting? When I was flying, uh, when I remember when I flew down to Yosemite to go meet uh, my buddy Lex? You don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, I do, because this is the guy that you meet every number of years, and you yeah. do it in Yosemite. Right, exactly. So I was flying down uh, in a Cessna 206, and the radio is filled with students, right? Because, you know, there's just a lot of people flying in California, all of them with Asian accents, almost unintelligible when it comes to their radio you know, traffic, what they're talking about. And I was like, dude, what is this? He says, no, they can't, uh, they can't. Um, learn how to fly in their hometown or it's too expensive or whatever. So they all come over here and throughout the California, the Northern California skies, most radio traffic for general aviation, Asian. Outrageous. Well, that brings up a number of potential jokes. We use, well, the jokes are made in the air, believe me, when you're just listening to these people trying to communicate. Cause you can't, you, it's hard to understand what's happening, what pilots are saying anyway. And yeah, just... well, I'm reminded of a punchline to the Air China uh, catchphrase. You know, you've seen us drive, now watch us fly. <laughs> so I like that. That's good. Well, you know, the, uh, they also I know that in uh, uh, Hawaii, uh, they uh, a lot of Japanese are you know learned to fly there because you know Hawaii the Japanese think they own it, and so they came you know although now that they fly over it it really screwed them into real estate you know once the seven forty seven uh, seven hundred or the big I think it was the three hundred or four hundred series the one that could fly you know they used to have to stop in Hawaii right. to get to Asia right now they can just then, pass right over it go straight now through. they just pass over yeah. the real estate prices collapse there but they like to come over and and take flying lessons and go shooting. They have more gun ranges, you know, indoor gun ranges where you can shoot a almost anything you want. And if you look at the uh, Japanese um, language uh, pamphlets that are all over the place, you, you just see all the advertisements for all these g gun shooting places, karaoke bars, escort services, and uh, hey uh, flying stuff. I so think I think Japanese we need to do a, a, a no agenda road trip. We got to go to Hawaii. Yeah, we should. Although there's <laughs> shoot, a big shoot storm. Some guns. Get us some bitches and shoot some guns. You know, we can shoot guns here. <laughs> yeah, but we want some bitches. <laughs> there's bitches here, too. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say it. Hey, let me ask you a question, John. Um, yes. Because I'm sure that you, uh, at one point, have been an economic advisor to the government. How does this just happen in, in Russia? They uh, devalued uh, the ruble. How yeah. how do you devalue the money? How is that done? You uh, you 
you you, you make an announcement, and then you uh, <laughs> I just I just sent out a press release on uh, prmarketwire.com. <laughs> Yeah. Then you peg it to a different uh, figure. Uh, you know, in other words, it was like if it was a one ruble, or let's say twenty rubles a dollar, uh, and you have it and it's, and it's indexed against the dollar. You just say, okay, now it's forty. So, I, so, so, that, so I, that's kind of my question: is is that always done against the dollar? Uh, is Russia doing this against the dollar? Um, are, are, are other you know are other it, countries? No, expected? it tends to be done against the major currencies, which is the dollar, the yen, and the euro, uh, and then the rest just fall in line. Hmm. Well, I I, I think it's uh, interesting that that's happening. Well, it's a for, you know, isn't yeah, I guess. It doesn't sound like a you know, it's always a bad thing when it happens. Well, I I understand what, that they say they're doing it because oil revenues are so much lower, so uh, you know, I I guess then if you devalue the currency, then everything you sell, no, wait a minute. Uh, I'm well, let's figure this out. Okay, so they literally, it said it in the Times. It literally said they devalue the currency because oil revenues were so low. So that means they okay, have to right. make. So you got say, so you're getting sixty dollars a barrel, let's say. Yeah. And let's say the sixty dollars translate. We're just going to do a one to one thing, just to make it easy. Uh, so the sixty dollars translated to sixty rubles. Right. So now you're getting thirty dollars a barrel. And so you want to still have it translate to 60 rubles, so you you cut the currency in half. Well, they didn't do so that. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. You just index it against because you're doing the oil deals in dollars. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's it. It's it's so that you can buy the uh, buy the the um, the peg currency cheaper. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, three percent doesn't sound like a half, but I guess it means three, something. They only they only did three percent. I think so. Well, that's kind of silly. Well, let me see. Maybe that was uh, there was some other country that that also devalued that. That may that may have been the one that did three percent. But this but they have devalued it like four times in the past month. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's oh, not like yeah, a one shot well. deal. You know, it just keeps on going. I can't find anything in this. Maybe I saw it in yesterday's paper. Uh. Interesting to see that William Hill, uh, one of the big bookie chains here in the UK, they've got 1.4 billion pounds worth of debt they're trying to refinance. I, How does a bookie I know. go into debt? Aren't those guys supposed? I mean, talk about a pyramid scheme. Aren't those guys supposed to be like making money off of this? And now they've got a huge 1.4 billion pound of debt. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. No, it says it right here. Well, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Well, it's the Financial Times. You got to believe something at a certain point, huh? And uh, I get, I guess, really the big news, which is kind of the news that we'll be talking about for uh, for many years to come, is um, of course what's happening in in Australia, where they uh, are about to start, or they want to put into law that they're going to filter the internet. Yeah. Um, so today, the the minute the cult the, the minister of culture in the United Kingdom came out and said, "We need ratings for websites." Ah, there you go. Ratings if it's inappropriate <laughs> for children, and uh, you know you there's thousands of websites that show you how to make a bomb. We have to stop this. We're like, dude, there's thousands of libraries where close the libraries, burn the books. 
It's, just, it's out of control. And, and, and the news just, well, uh, the culture minister said we need ratings for the website to protect the they children. They have a culture minister in uh, Australia? No, no, this is the culture minister of the United Kingdom. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm you saying. Have a culture minister? Well, it's What's a sorry culture excuse. Minister? I thought the queen was the culture minister. Oh, man, she's the head reptile. You got a whole different. Oh, oh, this, oh, dude, here's one for you. So a big cultural deal in the United Kingdom. On Christmas Day at 3 p.m., the Queen's speech to the to uh, to the country, to her uh, what do you call them? Minions, subjects, subjects. That's it. And uh, and and we, I think we've missed it every single year because you know it's not. I think in- I saw it because I was up in Washington. I think I saw it. They sh- they think they broadcast it on Canadian uh, news. I'm sure they do because, of course, Canada is controlled by the Queen still. And. Yeah, and it's more than just uh, set dressing. Witness what just happened. Anyway, I don't want to get into that because we'll get all the Canadians pissed off again. Um, so I'm like ready for this. And so what she does is she starts off and she says, uh, and not a not a smile, right? It's just and just horrible. It's just really cold and impersonal. And the Brits are like, oh, we love watching the Queen's speech. So, okay, we'll watch the Queen's speech. So we're all ready. By the way, Top of the Pops uh, came back for a special uh, hour and a half show before that, which was pretty cool. Anyway, so she comes on. She says, well, you know, what I've learned is that when I work with people who help others in these trying times, that they they truly are fulfilled, that they have fulfilled lives and they truly are happy. And then they switch to these this ENG footage of her boys, you know, visiting poor kids, and then ch- there's Charles somewhere with uh, African kids, and uh, and and then she's like, "Well, see, this is my family. See how much they do for other people. That's what you should do. Merry Christmas." And that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, it was, it was absolutely. It, I was shocked. She yeah, literally- I saw it. That's what I see. Yeah, they had they showed the kids. They're always, you know, the, the, these. Uh, yeah, well, they um, have no jobs. No kidding. It's easy for them to go around doing good when you have endless tax money to spend and no job. Well, these, and these are just obvious photo ops. Yeah, and, that, and you know, like- the guys probably blew in there, sat down. Okay, took a couple shots. Okay, let me get out of here, and they had to wash up. And I ha- and I've been reading the papers, and I'm like, please tell me that some journalist somewhere, some ed- ed- editorial writer, just said, "What the frig was that?" <laughs> Literally, here's my family. They're so great. They help everybody. You be oh, she threw in a little bit of Jesus there too. Yeah, a little bit of God love, which is fine. But do you? Th- I mean, I'm sitting there going, "Does the British public actually eat this shit up?" I mean, it was offensive. You should be more like my family. Because then you will v- truly be happy. Ugh. Well, what can I say? Still a lot of monarchists in that country. think it's great to have a queen. Uh, I don't know any personally, to be quite honest. I've run into a number of them over the years. I've always liked the idea of um, of a monarch, but... Um, and I, and it really disappointed me in the Netherlands when we had a couple, you know, we had one week before the national general election, the leading politician, Pim Fortan, was assassinated, was shot. Um, and that was the moment when, you know, you'd expect the queen, cause the whole country was frozen. It was like, wow, what just happened? You know, it was like the scale of JFK. And, it, you know, everyone still knows when, where they were when Pim got shot. And the queen didn't say anything. I, I was like, this is a per, she'd come out on TV and say, 
All right, you know, whatever. Just make people feel good. Kind of like a, a motherly, matronly type thing. No way. Cold, cold as ice. That's because they don't care. They don't love us. They don't love their subjects. Well, they're not supposed to. They're under no obligation. No, you're right. Their job is to fight wars and grab land. That's all they've done their entire lives. How's things going in Belgium, by the way? Have not heard a lot. Um, the last I read is that the king of Belgium, he has to officially decide if he accepts the part, because the cabinet fell. Um, but he has to still, which is kind of weird, you know, it's like, okay, the cabinet fell, uh, we don't want to work together anymore, and he still has to say, okay, that you're allowed, you're allowed to fall, you know. So he, he may, I don't know, he maybe he has accepted it, but yeah, Belgium's a funny country, you won't hear anything about it. It doesn't exist. It does. Talking about Silicon Valley, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, uh, Belgian is a creation, it's a crack, you know, actually Wikipedia, even though I don't think it's a great resource for a lot of stuff, has a pretty good breakdown of it. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a, it was a, a green zone. It was like, like a, a phony baloney yeah. thing from the get-go. It was the French and the Dutch, and they, and they, they really didn't like each other, and then we kind of got this middle bit, which is like a border, I guess, a really wide border. Yeah. It's a wide border. <laughs> wide border. And isn't it ironic that the wide border called Belgium is actually now running the entire EU? <laughs> yeah, Brussels, I know. O only, only half the time though, because we have to be in Strasbourg because the French wanted their little, little, uh, power center. So the government, a lot of people don't know this, but the European, uh, parliament actually moves. They'll be in Brussels one month, and then they go to Strasbourg the next month. They've got duplicate offices. It's a huge expense. I would think. Yeah, all, a lot of travel. You two offices, two everything. you got to move back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, I mean... That's inconvenient. No, that's only, that's only reserved for people like me. That's ridiculous. Well, you never move. <laughs> You're just always in England. You never come over here much. Well, so that's not even true. I, I, I was I over mean, there for three weeks... That was the one big, no. yeah, that's not the same as being one month there and then a month here and then a month there and a month there and a month there and a month here right. like they do with that crazy EU parliament. But you know what? If I was uh, trying to really save the country, then I might consider it. Yeah, I think you're overdue. <laughs> no. no, 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 man. Uh, not coming until February, maybe. I am overdue for restaurant some, Yeah, I'm overdue for some food. That's for sure. You got to come over and hang out with me. Yeah, it's just getting to the point where I can afford it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a dollar forty-six, I think, now for the pound. Oh, that's perfect. That's what yeah. it should be. Yeah, uh, it's it's good. It's always been about a buck fifty, and that's you're right. That's what it should be. Yeah. It usually fluctuates between a buck forty-five and a buck fifty-five. Usually, that I mean that's what I've always seen. And then all of a sudden, it goes to two with the inflation you already have over there. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the inflation is pretty bad. But you know, Gordon Brown, the guy who uh, was at the helm when uh, and steered us right into the credit crisis here in the UK. You know, he, he's the guy running the show. He's going to save us. So he says. So I'm going to go to uh, Amsterdam, hopefully in April, and I'm going to go at the end of the month where they have this, uh, what's April, it called, Queen, Queen's, Queen's Day. Day? Yeah, April 30th is the Queen's birthday in the Netherlands, uh, although it is not actually her birthday anymore. Uh, it is still observed on that day, and the cool thing about it is uh, it's a, a national 
Wait, 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 wait. It's not her birthday anymore. Did she change her birthday? I think it was her grandmother's birthday. Oh, okay. But they just kept it on the same day. It's kind of a good day because 30th of April, uh, it's not really cold. Um, you know, everyone can still have hopes for a sunny day. <laughs> uh, so so the, the 29th, the evening before, particularly in Amsterdam is where you really want to be, uh, it's just mayhem. And if the weather's nice, then it's crazy. Everyone's just, you know, bar crawling, just drunk off, just tits up drunk. And the next day, everybody can mark out their spot, lay out their little blanket, and sell anything you want to sell. Uh, no tax, no sales tax, no nothing. Sell whatever you want. It's like one huge flea market, the whole country. But Amsterdam is, is probably the best place to be. Uh, and there's great shit and lots of music and food. And a lot of people choose to set up, you know, the, they'll be cooking something and they'll sell that instead of their, you know, their old radios and, you find the weirdest things, and, and you usually come home with just lots of other people's junk. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a recycling program. Is? Yeah, it's a recycling program. You, you, everyone passes on some junk to somebody else. Um, might be a good time to. It might be. I would be trying to scrounge old art. I mean, I would think that Amsterdam has a lot of you know art. I tell you, the the old art, and I have a couple pieces. It's uh, it's not selling. None of that stuff is selling. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking to sell them, but I do kind of pay attention from time to time to see if any category I have gets hot. Uh, it's pretty much uh, like our global warming right now <laughs> for everything I have. What do you have? Uh, I don't so want those expensive Rembrandts that you've collected. No, I don't have Rembrandts, uh, but I... Um, I have a Rouillet, which is French. I have a David Bless, which is a pretty well-known Dutch Jewish painter. That's, signif that's significant uh, because of the topics that he paints. And we have uh, another uh, semi-master. And they're just they're nice paintings. We, they're beautiful. We like them. We hang them up. We look at them. So if I go to Amsterdam, are you going to come over and, and, and be the celebrity friend of mine? Yes, of course. I'm going to. I'm you're gonna, like very, but you'd be like swamped with people asking for your autograph. Uh, you're no, well, because I'm, uh, I have an attitude and I'm six feet tall. Uh, no one bothers me. Really? Yeah. They just stare and point. Yes, and giggle. Ah, uh, yeah. Why yeah, they giggle? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe they. I don't know. Them. I don't know what they're giggling about. You know, anything. No, what, but what about? What about Patricia? You want to drag her around? That would be something. No, she won't go because she's uh, five foot, uh, and uh, and and it's very. Uh, she gets very anxious in those situations because a lot of people, you know, when she's in a crowd of a lot of people, she's basically you know staring into their belly buttons, and it's not a not a happy uh, not a happy experience. She does not like. Uh, that's why we moved away. You know, and and my wife is so incredibly famous there, particularly with all these shows she's doing. You know, when she, no matter where she goes, if she walks into a shop, everyone's going to look and see, watch what she's buying. You know, <laughs> it's not, not yeah, you understand people like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan, minus the the shaving of the head stuff. But you so really, can I come over? Can I come visit the abode there in, in London, take a few shots of her and then sell it to the tabloids in Amsterdam, pick up some money? I'll split it with you. Yeah, you wouldn't be the first. Sure. No problem. Uh, but we got to <laughs> We got to set up. We got to have a story. You know, I mean, I got those in. It's no problem. You gotta have the right story though. You gotta, and then you, you, you know, you gotta stick the appropriate picture. You get, you gotta snap the right one. So, well, you know, you shoot a lot. Uh, but there's already been stories about our new house in, uh, in the tabloids. Huh. Oh yeah, they'll come looking. 
They always do. That's why Patricia already gave him a picture. Said, Here, here's a picture of the house. Uh, go public, which it isn't, which is the funniest thing. <laughs> she just got a picture off of, uh, off of, off of the net somewhere that, you know, looks like our house. <laughs> and she sent it to the, to the, uh, uh, she sent it to the journalist, and he published it. <laughs> this is her new house. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure after they listen to this, they won't be like, although they probably don't. Who listens to this show? Well, We have dedicated listeners, but I don't think the journalist that got the fake picture is one of them. No, they never listen. If, if, if they actually listen to any of my shows, man, they could be writing for hours. We got a lot of people, I think, listening on iPhones. You always see these uh, singular.net. I know people listen to the streams on uh, on an iPhone. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, speaking of paintings, um, at least 50 paintings from the government art collection, which I don't, I didn't know existed. I presume something like that would uh, would exist, uh, are missing and unaccounted for. <laughs> what government art collection? The one in England? Yes. Well, it's probably something like the National Gallery in, in Washington. They have, you know, I, they have at least the guy I was walking around looking. I looked at a paint, a picture there. I was looking at this picture. It was, I can't remember the artist's name, but it was just really fascinating. I never heard of this guy's kind of a American impressionist or something from around 1820 or 1920. I mean, and I'm, and I asked one of the guys to stand around to make sure you're not, you know, poking holes in it. I said, well, who is this guy? And I asked him, and he, he said, I don't know. They probably brought that up from, you know, down below. They're always moving stuff up and down and up and down. He says, you know, he says only about a, a quarter of the collection is actually up here. Right. And they rotate it because someone's yeah, got to have a job. And so they rotate. I mean, they keep the classics, you know, that everybody wants to see, but then they rotate all this, all this other stuff. But I'm thinking, so three quarters of the paintings or down in the basement, they could, you know, I'm sure stuff could disappear effortlessly. We're talking thousands and thousands of paintings, and they'd probably only inventory it once every few years. Well, of the 50... 50s a lot. But those will, those will show up. they got all these systems no, in listen, place. No, listen to this, listen to this. Um, so they just did an audit. 50 are unaccounted for. None of them were insured. Some are known to have been stolen, but more than half the total simply disappeared. <laughs> The whole collection worth about a uh, hundred million pounds, so I'm sure that uh, there's some nice pieces that uh, have walked out. Mm. Well, you know they, uh, the 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 biggest, uh, so they say in the art world, uh, instigators of this sort of thing are the Swiss. Oh. Yeah, the paintings all end up in these Swiss collections that that never go on the auction block, never show up in galleries. They're just in somebody's house. Oh yeah, because yeah, the, yeah. the Swiss are less likely. I mean, they apparently, you know, if you know, you know, you can't steal a great painting and, uh, and get sell away it. with no, you can't sell you can't it. Sell you, it. You no, you're stuck it. with yeah. it. Yeah. So if you want, if you steal, <laughs> like it, like it, like it's a horrible. You're stuck with that freaking Mona Lisa. I, I'm gonna <laughs> slap that bitch's smile off her face one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was stolen, by the way. I know. And, <laughs> I know. And and so, um, well, I mean, I, I don't mean stuck with it, but if you don't like, if it's a painting you don't like, you're stuck with it. But if it's a painting, yeah, you can put it up on your walls, you know, claim it's, you know, I would just, I'd have a piece like that. And I'd say, yeah, I had it copied in China. You know, this is a pretty good No, copy. no, no. What you're supposed to do is when you're sitting around with all your uh, Illuminati brethren, you sit there and you uh, pet your white pussy and you smoke your Cuban cigar and you look at your stolen painting and you enjoy it because you are sophisticated, much more sophisticated than the we people. 
subject. Well, then you, you'd have to. I think if you're going to do it that way, you have to push a button and then a wall. And then, yeah, a wall revolves right with with perfect lighting. Of course, yeah, it goes without yeah. saying. You know, the the so Dutch. Talking, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No. I was no. gonna. I was gonna say that um, the Dutch uh, socialist system twenty years ago. I don't know if they still do it. Um, you know, there were lots of artists, and artists can study art for free in uh, at school because it's a socialist system, unlike uh, what we discussed with the U.S. Uh, state government-run uh, institutions. Uh, but the deal was, uh, all the art they made, um, you could actually go and, uh, on a rotating basis, you could, you know, pick up three or four paintings, maybe a sculpture, put it in your house for six months, and then after six months, you bring it back and you get some other stuff that some students had made. They put it into circulation within society, which I always thought yeah. was kind of cool. Well, you know, the, there's a bunch of museums that do that. Uh, the Oakland Museum has a collection that they rotates around. The University of California has a pretty big art collection that they used to loan out. Uh, I think you had to take insurance out or something. I think that's it, but it's oh, free. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, so I mean, I don't think it's totally un, you know out of the out of the ordinary. Now, anyway, talking about these buried art collections, the reason I mentioned it. So I I went to this. I had this event I went to in uh, Korea and met the public relations guy. Did I tell you about this? The no, public relations so. guy from the Vatican. Hmm. He's, he's like I, the Pope's PR guy. This rings a bell, but may, I don't think it was on the show. I mean, please tell me. So anyway, he says he invited me to go visit the Vatican when I get a chance. And he'll take me into the bowels of the Vatican art collection. And the, or the collection of all this crazy stuff that they put down there. You know, the stuff about the uh, the uh, Illuminati and all those secrets. Mm -hmm. So yes. And yes. he says, he says you don't get, not too many people get down there. But he says, it's really interesting. And he says, uh, he was roaming around down there recently. I just imagine the place, you know, dripping. And he says, and he found Marco Polo's divorce decree. Excellent. I guess it was an annulment. Right. But uh, fantastic! I thought that would be kind of a one-upsmanship thing to do. Hell yeah! I have to actually do these things instead of just sitting here at home. Yeah, I know what you mean. I dream a lot too. According to the Swedish trade journal Dagen Medicina, Nobel Media, because we were talking about this last week, and I picked this story up. Nobel Web, it's a Nobel affiliated corporations are accused of taking many millions of dollars from AstraZeneca, uh, who of course hold the patents for the HPV, that's the uh, cervical cancer vaccine, Gardasil, and Severix in uh, Europe. You uh, may recall, we, so we talked about the difference in Nobel Prizes. Uh, a Nobel Prize for medicine was given to the German scientist Harold Zurhauser for the discovery of this so-called virus, which is killing children, uh, the vaccine at least. Uh, yeah. and, he, and he got a Nobel Prize, and so now there's accusations that AstraZeneca, who of course makes this, uh, you know, basically bought it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's good. That's good. People should know the truth about these. Well... Why? Well, it's good to... Uh, you're right. Just let people sleep on. Just let them, you know, we don't need that, you know, these riots in the street. Yes, we do. Food riots. Food <laughs> riots. When people are hungry, then we're going to need them. Of course, of course we need that. As long as they don't tear down the deli. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, I, I would take some precautions. Well, how many people live up there in Port Angeles? Not a lot. I think about 20,000. Oh, okay. You could feed everyone. Maybe 15. You could feed everyone. Yeah. Well, you know, they got the Border Patrol. You know, this is this Homeland Security USA. They got these guys called Border Patrol now up there. And because, you know, they declared the border to be 100 miles deep. Yeah, that's the Constitution-free zone, as we call it. Right. And uh, they're according to my wife, she says that, you know, because she has to drive to, to another city every couple of days. She says these guys, are you know, they're pulling people over. Yeah, illegal search and seizure. Yeah, const- constantly. Yeah. And making them open the trunk and, you know, whatever. And they, you got nothing. You can't say no. There's a, and, there's a uh, guy who has a website. You gotta see it. Uh, check, it's a checkpointusa.org. And he films every single, and it's great to, to see because he, he knows the, the very simple laws of, uh, of the country and the constitution. And so they stop him and he, and he's filming the whole thing and he keeps saying, am I being detained? And of course they won't say yes or no. And they just say, are you an, they say, all they're asking is, are you an American citizen? And he won't answer the question because, of course, he doesn't have to. And he says, am I being detained? Answer the question. Am I being detained? And it goes on. It goes on for like 20 minutes. And then pull over to secondary. Uh, am I being detained? <laughs> and they won't answer it. And so he just doesn't do it. And he just stands there. And eventually, they, every single video, they wind up letting him go because he just knows his rights and just sit there and says, I'm not going to take this shit from you. Hmm. And uh, I think uh, Mimi should do the same. <laughs> she hasn't been pulled over yet. No, she will. Is she American? Is she American citizen? Yeah. Yeah. Is she going to tell him when they ask her? She's going to probably, I don't know what she's going to tell him. She could blow up. That that would be not good. Oh, uh, well. I didn't know your wife was an IED. She, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she uh, will give him lip. Well, but see, that's the problem. If you try and if you try to do that, it never works. You, it, well, maybe this, she won't. All right. Well, what, she should. She show her those videos. She drives a van. It's like a, they don't pull people over. Of in course. Vans. Are you kidding me? Because they're expecting you know like a, a hundred illegal immigrants to be in the back. We're talking about what are these immigrants coming in from Canada from? Are these illegal <laughs> Canadians? <laughs> yes. Damn it! Someone has to clean my toilet. The let the Canadians do it. Move these guys down to the south. It's unbelievable. <laughs> There's something else going on. Oh, you think, John? You think that pe- this is exactly... It, if you look at all these uh, these checkpoints, and you'll see it on that guy's blog. I'm just presuming the guy has his data right. The, it rings all around the United States. It's 100 miles, and it's called the the Constitution-Free Zone. And, and, it, and it, the entire outline of the 50 states of America now has all these checkpoints set up. And hell yeah, can't you see the net closing in? It's pretty obvious to me. I think it's to keep people from leaving. Of course, that's exactly what it is. And it's, it's to keep you away from the border uh, and to keep you in fear. And uh, pretty soon we'll uh, we'll have the military at these checkpoints. You know that's going to happen. Well, you know, there already, you know, there's this discussion about the military, you know, helping out. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's called training. It's just a training exercise. These guys and and gals were in Iraq. They're hardened. They're coming back, and now they need training. What? Uh, how to be compassionate? Apparently, they use these guys for a checkpoint 
uh, military guys for a checkpoint down in Santa Barbara or someplace down there, just as a kind of a you know, let the military pull some drunks over. Yeah, DUI. Yeah. It's, you know, it's against the law, right? Yes, it's illegal. Uh, we also talked about this last week, but I don't mind uh, repeating it because it's a, it's a huge deal. Yeah, I know. I challenged you to get me the information about the Southern California I it, thing. I sent it you to you. You sent me a link, but I still haven't seen this. I, like I said, I, if I saw personally yeah, saw I, this. Yeah, I showed you video that wasn't know. good enough. It has to be. You have to actually. Well, why don't you get in your car, get get no. off your inner tube. <laughs> Put your butt in your car and go find one and tape it because it's going to happen. You'll bump into if it. If I find one, I'll tape it. I, I met a girl in the uh, coffee shop right around the corner from the new house. Um, for us, she's from San Francisco. Cute girl. And uh, I said, uh, so what are you doing here? She says, uh, going to school and I'm going to work as hard as I can. I don't ever want to go back. <laughs> you bitter? says, it's going to be shit in America. I don't want to be there anymore. Do so you think it's going to be any better, any better here? Which I've also noticed. Th- I think it'll be worse there. <clears throat> I agree. <clears throat> I think it will be. And uh, and I'm seeing more and more people uh, stop me on the street uh, begging for money in uh, in London. In San Francisco, everyone's jaded and used to it. Um, and I'm always a good target. People are always coming up to me. Um, I guess I don't look threatening enough. They won't ask me for my autograph, but they'll try and bum a cigarette or a quarter off of me any day. And I'm seeing more of that in London. So yeah, I like to. I I like especially guys on the freeway exits, which are all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, these guys are at every exit. Hey, only in America, uh, by the way, you don't see that in in many other countries. Yeah, I know it's weird, but it's actually mostly in the Bay Area. You don't see it in many other cities, but the um, I always I, I try to keep them. I haven't done it much recently. I think I only have a few left. I try to keep a, a box of baseball caps in the car mm-hmm. that were taken from Tech TV years ago that say "Big Thinkers." <laughs> and you hand that out to people asking you for money? Yeah. Well, <laughs> most of them need a hat, and so I give them a uh, Big Thinkers cap, and it's, it's something, especially when the show was still you're, being aired. You are such a hu- John. You are such a humanitarian. I always found it highly amusing, and I think it was it brightened many people's days to see a guy with a sign begging for money with a hat that says "Big Thinker." <laughs> that wasn't cruel, was it? It, it, it pretty much borders on uh, shooting kittens. No, it doesn't. The guy's got a nice hat. <laughs> the guy wants to eat. He's got a nice hat. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Obama's going to save him. It's all good. So uh, anyway, yeah, no, I also, if I have food, I'll give them food. I just don't carry a lot of money with me, you know, just to give away to people from my car. <laughs> how about the hat? How about that I bag of quarters? Thoughtful. How about that bag of quarters you're always toting around in your car? You need those it. quarters because, you you know, a lot of people, you know, fifteen minutes traveling parking. to San Francisco, let me give you some advice. Anyone that thinks you're going to be a tourist, do Take- not go to San Francisco. It's the worst place in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's quaint. It's got a cable cars, you know. And we got and some hookers, but still. 
Go to the, look at the cable car, you know, go up and down the cable car and go look at the Golden Gate Bridge and drive around for a few minutes. Go down the world's crookedest street yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, take a trip to Alcatraz and then get out because it's a horrible <laughs> place. There's bums and homeless and criminals everywhere. Yeah. Everyone's on the cell phone talking to somebody and bumping into each other. It's very dangerous. And, uh, and the parking. Uh, like a metered parking meter. That's why I got this bag of quarters. It's five minutes for a quarter. Right? <laughs> five? I thought it was 15. It's five? Five. <laughs> uh, so fantastic. by the time you're done loading the quarters up, you got you lost your first five minutes. You got to put another quarter in. It's unbelievable. No wonder outcalls for hookers are so expensive. They got to pay for all that parking. Anyway, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a profit center. Those parking meters are supposed to be instituted like they, you know, they have them in France with the blue disc and, you know, you put the disc up there. Or you, the parking was always supposed to be uh, monitored to get keep people moving. You wanted to have a, uh, a, a timer that was said, okay, you've been here that long. So, you, you know, it was, they were all pennies. They weren't supposed to be profit centers, you know, to, you know, to make money off of you. The city's supposed to encourage people to be there and have a good time and do whatever they want. But this city of San Francisco discourages people from coming to it uh, certainly with a vehicle so i would say i would say don't go to san francisco ever what a great endorsement you could be in one of those uh schwarzenegger come to california ads you and maria and uh, and arnold will be great well, california itself may be a questionable place to visit well 46 billion dollars in the hole and looks like uh it's going belly up. I, I don't know how that works when when a, when a state actually just goes bankrupt. What happens? They don't, they don't pay anybody anything that they owe them. They're bankrupt. Right. So then, uh, does that mean the cops stop functioning? They just stop working? And ah, probably. Well, you know, they hope that they volunteer. Really? It'll really come down to that. You won't get some kind of. I mean, can't can't California become a, a bank holding company and uh, qualify for some TARP? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, the, in fact, General if I were, if, I know if I were Schwarzenegger, I'd be trying that. So we're uh, we're not gonna we're gonna be a bank holding company, our state of California, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna need some of that money. I don't know what they're gonna do. I, all I know is that the state, the New York State's also in trouble, and the city of New York is close to being bankrupt. Well, the city of New York took all the pension money. That's that's how they're solving it is by literally taking. They, they admit it. Just take, we're taking the the pension money. Yeah, that's some solution, isn't it? You come over here, man, you're not going to want to go back. You're going to want to stay. Because this is the epicenter. Right here. But your house? <laughs> no, this country. It's still the British Empire. That's what's going on. So I keep my enemies close. Yeah, well, there's some truth to that, at least. Uh... Certainly in the in the financial world there is, you bet. You kidding me? Well, you know the Brits have always been the uh, you know the big shots in that arena. Although they really uh, screwed up on this last one, I have to say. Well, it got, it got out of control and got way too big, and everybody was way too greedy. But I, I'm still convinced that this that the the bubble bursting is is intended to happen. You know the way I I see it in very simple terms: blow it up, then steal the money trillions of dollars and pounds and euros and whatever that went straight to the bankers. They all paid themselves. They all got their bonuses and then some. We know that the first 120 billion went straight into bonuses. Take that money, 
you know, and then ride the wave of the devaluation and, uh, you know, spread it out, maybe pounds, euros, yen, whatever, make sure you got something everywhere, and then go and then leave. No, then, no, then you go on a buying spree. Well, ne- no, next, you, next you know, is, if you devalue, I mean, the whole deflation right, thing. A buying, exactly. Then they buy up all of the assets. They get all the companies cheap, buy right. all the land cheap, buy all the houses cheap. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so first they needed to get the money. That just took place. You know, this, have you not received this, this thing circulating the internet? Uh, I've seen two versions of it. One is about acorns. The other is about monkeys. No, I've seen neither one. I okay. don't get spam. It's, it's not spam. My friend sent it to me. And, okay. uh, let me just read it to you because it's, uh, if I can find it. Um, it's, it's essentially, um, a, a simple way to understand what happened with the bailout. And, uh, oh man. See, this is where we need like a commercial break or something so I can go and find it. Or you could just say something. Well, you know, I was uh, I was thinking that I had on the blog a very funny cartoon from uh, um, Calvin and Hobbes. It's apparently 15 years old, which more or less described the situation, I thought, in a cartoon form uh, better than anything I've uh, run into uh, elsewhere. And can we share this with the listeners? Well, it's hard to because you can't see the cartoon. But let me, let me, I'll tell you what, let me, if the blog's running, which of course, you know, we've had nothing but trouble since we upgraded to 2.7, turns out. Um, oh, really? What kind of trouble? This is a WordPress well, I mean, thing? this is what somebody on Twitter told, said, you know, I've had nothing but trouble since I went to 2.7 and this is what you did. Because mm. the blog's crashing, it's like a mess. I mean, right now it's up, I'm glad for that. There's some really screwy stuff on here. Uh, I'll find these cartoons just within a couple of days and get it. It's a uh, title, 15-year-old cartoon predicts. It starts off with, with uh, Calvin and, and this little girl whose name I can't remember. Uh, she goes up to him, and he's uh, got a lemonade stand, and she says, 15 bucks a glass, which it says. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's right, you want some? And she says, how do you justify charging $15? He says, supply and demand. She turns around, there's nobody there. She says, where's the demand? I don't see any demand. He says, there's lots of demand. Yeah. Sure, as the sole stockholder in this enterprise, I demand monstrous profits on my investment. <laughs> and as president and CEO of the company, I demand an exorbitant annual salary. <laughs> and as my own employee, I demand a high hourly wage and all sorts of company benefits. Then there's overhead and actual production costs. She points at the lemonade and says, but it looks like you just threw a lemon in some sludge water. <laughs> well, I have to cut expenses somewhere if I want to stay competitive. <laughs> then she says, what if I got sick from that? And he says, caveat emptor is the motto we stand behind. I'd have to charge more if we followed health and environmental regulations. She walks off saying, you're out of your mind. I'm going home to drink something else. And he says, sure, put me out of a job. It's your anti-business types who ruin the economy. (laughs) He sulks, goes over to his mom and says, I need to be subsidized. (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. It is actually quite funny. Um. Hold on, let me just, the uh, safari is fucking me up here. Oh, boy. So I guess you, all that, I went through all that rigmarole and you still can't find it. That's okay, why don't we, we can do it next week. Hold on, yeah, I'm, the problem is, oh, please, oh, don't crash, please don't crash. Safari, oh, man, safari crashed. <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, and it's like hosing out the entire computer. I'm trying. Oh, I'm trying to quit it. Oh, please. Safari is ah, taking ah. down the show. Ah. Okay. I was able to quit it. Oh, thank you, Steve Jobs. You're fantastic. Um. Okay, so the story is very simple. There was a village, and one day a guy came to the... I'm doing this from memory. It's pretty simple. And one day a guy came to the village and said, "Uh, I'll give you $20 for every monkey you can uh, deliver to me. So the townspeople go out, and they start getting some monkeys. They bring them back, and he pays them 20 bucks for each monkey. And then he comes back the next day and says, Hey, um, you know what? Uh, The monkeys are pretty hot now. Uh, I'll give you 25 bucks for every monkey. So... uh, Townspeople go out. It's a little bit harder, you know, because they've got a shitload of monkeys for 20 bucks. Uh, but they find some, they bring them back, and the uh, guy's like, pays him 25 bucks per monkey. Next day he comes back, he says, I'm going to give you 50 bucks for, the monkeys are so hot right now, I'll give you 50 bucks for every monkey you can deliver to me. And the townspeople are like, and, and his assistant came with him, because he had to leave and uh, go back to the city. So his assistant stayed there. And the townspeople, are like, you know, they tried, but they couldn't find any monkeys. So the the assistant says, hey, look, listen, here's what I'll do. I got like 100 monkeys. I'll sell them to you guys for 35 and then when he comes back, you sell it to him for 50 And, of course, he sells the $35 monkeys to the townspeople, and neither of the guys come back. And that is exactly what the bailout is all about. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but I like that because, you know, people can understand a story like that. That's exactly yes, what happened. It's a con. Yes, thank you. Con, indeed. And not the kind of con that we like in the south of France. All right, so uh, anything else? But How was your Christmas, by the way? You never, we never talked about it. It was uh, treeless. Oh? Yeah, we had no tree. We're in the middle of boxes. It, it's, you know... We knew this would happen. Pra- you guys have Boxing Day? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what Boxing Day actually is, uh, other than a reason for 10,000 idiots to line up at Selfridges and storm down the doors at 7 a.m., which is uh, what happened. Well, it, says, it means, you know, when I first saw Boxing Day, which was in Canada, I was there, I guess. That's the some... gift exchange day, isn't it? Yeah, but I never knew that. I thought it was like some day that was the Boxer Rebellion or there was some match going to be a boxing match. I had no idea what it meant. And then, I, you know, somebody meant, told me I was an idiot. It <laughs> means you box your old gifts up and take them back. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> so... <laughs> well, they, uh, um, so all these stores are going out of business and, uh, Retailers in battle at dawn is the headline in the Financial Times, and literally 10,000 people uh, rushing in to get all these deals before all these companies go out of business. They expect 15 uh, retail chains to go in the next uh, six months. Really? Yeah. No, it's really bad. And, uh, you know, Woolworths went out of business. I told you that. They're literally yeah. selling the lockers, the employee lockers now at some that of these Woolworths. That could come in handy. Yeah. For what? I don't know. Uh, people will buy I mean, it. How many stores have employee lockers? The, well, Woolworths has been around for a long time. You know, they're old-fashioned, old school. <laughs> uh, 27,000 employees out as of uh, January 5th. Um, but I'm going to get me a damn cheap set of TVs, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, there should be some good deals on oh. televisions. Oh, fantastic deals. What do you, what's a good deal there? Because we have right here in Costco, yeah. we have the uh, uh, 42-inch plasmas going for six seventy nine or so. 
And I thought that was a pretty good price, That's but now I'm starting to see uh, 50 inches going for like 700. Yeah, I saw a 50 inch plasma, and it was marked at 425 pounds. Oh, so, that's good. So that's probably just a little bit under that price, not much. But yeah, it's like they're doing seventy percent off. I mean, it, it's been amazing. And we buy a bed; it was a bed, a two thousand dollar bed, seven hundred pounds. It's uh, you know, there's better. yeah. Now's the time to spend more money. Yeah, I, I want to help the economy. Pump some money in. There's even wine bargains all over the place too, which is kind of problematic. Why is that problematic? Well, I've got so much wine in my cellar now because of all these deals that I. Oh, you, know, you don't want to, you can't you don't have a, any place to store anything? Is that no? It? I got plenty of places. I got a whole basement, but it's just like I don't you know I got a you know I just too much. I mean, I have I know how I what my drinking process is, and I drink a lot of mostly uh, samples to have to decide what to buy, and I can you know I can't keep buying stuff that. I just got too much. I you know you can't drink fast enough. There's some people that have these wine cellars with like ten thousand bottles in them. I think, what are you going to do with this stuff? Really. You can't get through it. You can't. You know, too much of it'll go bad. You know, because wine doesn't necessarily age unless I mean, some wines do, but not all of them. And uh, you know, what are you doing with a cellar this size? Now, it's do you, do, now, do you have a, a drinking setup in your uh, in your cellar so you can actually uh, uh, crack a bottle there and sit down and drink? In my cellar up in uh, Port Angeles, I do. Oh, that's hot, and it's uh, it's humidified, and it's uh, got it's all too the cold groovy rags. Drink, believe me. Oh, so yeah, it's, it's just all cold? the cellar up there. I mean, this one here is a natural cellar. The one up there is cold, actually. So I think it's probably a degree so, or two too cold. Oh, so you don't have a a, a constant temperature? Shouldn't it be kept at some. It is a constant temperature. It's constantly, constantly cold. Constantly cold. I know. You know. You know what I'm asking. Obviously, is like doesn't no, have to. No, I don't have be... all that gear. I, I have a natural set. I don't need it. <laughs> you know, if I was living in Arizona, yeah, I'd probably have something like that. <sighs> You're au naturel. <laughs> Ah, uh, you slay me. We like to put in a, sh you know, I think the coolest thing to do, you know, they think about it, because we have a funny incline in our property, is to get a bulldozer and bulldoze up a, or get like a Quonset hut and then cover it and uh, make a shay, which is the, which is a wine cellar that's above ground. The French have them, very uh -huh. common. And but but they're really they're cool because it's like above ground and it's like because uh, you don't you really sellers in the Pacific Northwest where we are is not it's a sandy soil and it's just going to have a lot of seepage. I mean you guys it's just not a good idea. And I mean you have to have big thick cement walls. It's not worth doing. Uh, but a shea is really a good concept and you just walk in. You can set it up with a you know a little tasting bar in there and you'd have all your stuff stacked up. It kind of cool. It'll never happen. I was just going to say, why don't you crank up the digger? I'll be right over <laughs> the on my way. Just need to rent a, you know, a bulldozer. This is interesting. I, I just got an, uh, an email from someone, regular dropper, no agendist here. I'm guessing you've moved to bleep bleep by now and thought you might want to know what the nightlife's like there. Guy knows exactly where I'm moving. Huh. How does he know that? I think you must have mentioned him. No, I've never mentioned. I've said SW4, but he actually has the street. Oh, well, he's probably with MI, MI6. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's given me some, uh, some, uh, some tips on where to go get hammered.
<laughs> I did check though. I did a walk around today. Not a single, at least not a, that I could see, not a single um, CCTV camera in the square. I wish oh, I'm very that's happy. Nice. About. Yeah, it's very nice to know you're not being spied upon by the government. Yeah. So yeah, no, that won't uh, last uh, for a while, at least. I hope. Oh man. Yeah. All right, they so- may be there are hidden. They may be hidden. No, 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 no. I don't think they, they do. don't bother. No, they don't do that yet. So anyway, so uh, Christmas was uh, in between boxes. It was uh, we're very low key because we always, you know, and this has been this way since Christina was a baby. You know, it's like every day is Christmas with us. So it's not, a you know, uh, Patricia and I or Patricia mainly will cook a nice meal and we'll sit down and we have a good time and we'll we'll watch a, a, a movie together. Um, but we generally, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's always a gift exchange. And uh, it's more about the, you know, I always ask for books. So my daughter gave me uh, the book Spliffs 2, which is uh, uh, the second volume of the history of uh, marijuana and hemp, which is such a nice present. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And is, it ma- is it printed on hemp? I don't think so. That That actually would have been, let me just check, that would have been smart, I guess. Oh, it'd been cool. Probably stink up the place, though. <laughs> uh, see, Tim Pilcher wrote this. Of course, by the way, now somebody's going to write in, you know, it doesn't smell. I use hemp. I wear right, hemp right, clothes. Right. Well, there is, and first of all, it's kind of cool because it has a like a burn hole in the cover, which is intentional, but it is an actual hole, um, hmm. which anyone who is a spliffmeister will know. But, um, yeah, it, it does go in quite a lot of detail. In fact, it, it, it has some interesting facts in here that in the... Uh, mid to late 1800s, uh, farmers in the United States were obligated by law to grow hemp, uh, and they were, you know, they were paid for it. But uh, they couldn't just grow anything else. They had to use a portion of their farmland for the growth of hemp because it was very important at the time. It was a great industrial um, thing. Yeah, used rope in, and other things. Well, not just rope and and well, blue jeans. The original blue jeans, of course, were uh, were made of hemp. Levi Strauss. Is that company. right? Yes. You You're didn't kidding? know that? Yeah, the original no. the original uh, blue jeans from the Levi Strauss company. Oops, I just lost the channel of my microphone. There we go. Um, which is I think still based in San Francisco. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the original blue jeans were made out of hemp. Uh, Henry Ford. We, t- we talked about that last week. Henry Ford made a a hemp car, which would there's a YouTube video of people actually banging the car with a crowbar. Not yeah, yeah. We nothing. mentioned that last week. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I get, we're we're even now. Yeah, but you know, this, I'm just saying there's a, a mention of it. And what's cool is they have the top uh, 50 stoners, all the people who were um, well known uh, smokers, and as a well, who are the top 50 stoners? I mean, give me a couple of the, the top okay. five. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple. Um, how about Bing Crosby? Really? Well, uh, according to the book, the King of Croon maintained his mellow demeanor thanks to a few tokes on the herb. Hmm. And you know what? I well, be- you know, musicians, I mean, like, you have to assume that most people in the music business are, yeah. you know. Well, so I'll give you a couple more. Willie Nelson, of course we know about yeah. Willie. Uh, Whitney Houston, but she smoked a lot more than marijuana. The obvious, you know, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, uh, Louis Armstrong, of course, all the jazz guys. They they sang about it in their songs. Um, they had many different titles 
Like, if any of you hear him sing about the Miz? Well, give me some more surprise names like Crosby. Okay. Um, Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria? Not an actual stoner as such. Old Vic used to, stoner. <laughs> used to neck back bottles of cannabis tincture to help her e ease her savage period pains. Nicely put. Her, huh. her physician, Sir J. Russell Reynolds, reported in the first issue of The Lancet in 1890 that he had been prescribing cannabis for 30 years and he considered it, quote, one of the most valuable medicines we possess. This typical use of marijuana for medicinal purposes surely had her royal high, <laughs> her royalty high and most amused. Okay, that's cool. Uh, William her royal highness is yeah. a funnier gag. Well, the royalty high is the way he wrote it. I, I agree. You, you should have edited this book. Uh, William Shakespeare, uh, Newt Gingrich, well, Norman Mailer, no surprise, Allen Ginsberg, um, I mean, Hunter Thompson, yeah, right, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, now there's a shocker, uh, Larry Hagman, Morgan Freeman, Robert Mitchum, Robert Altman, Jack Nicholson, Jane and Peter Fonda, Cary Grant, and Diane Cannon. Whoa. Cary Grant was also a huge uh, LSD. He, acid, promoter. right? Yeah. Didn't he used to do acid with Nicholson? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, wasn't, so. I wasn't there. It was before my time. <laughs> no, it wasn't before your time. You just weren't there. Carrie Fisher was on the uh, shootout show with uh, Peter Goober and uh, Peter Bart, and she uh, who's and she's a, actually quite funny. I didn't realize that she's a she's a she's a a, 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 a script fixer. Carrie Fisher, yeah, the actress. And apparently, yeah, yeah. And, that's wait a minute, her now, real what, job is she's a writer. She's oh yeah, a that's, it's a fixer. huge job. Yeah, no. They, and in fact, uh, well, like a mercenary, Goober, you know, says that this category of writer are called the body and fender people. In Hollywood, <laughs> yeah. and she then and, and they showed her the credits. She wrote on. She fixed a lot of scripts, and she says, you know, you have to do it. And the way she described how you had to do it, and she's always wanted to be a writer. She never wanted to be an actress anyway. And she's kind of chubbed out, but uh, she was very funny. I thought she had a lot of one-liners, and she apparently writes humor into the scripts. Uh, but she talked about the fact that her, you know, mom. Uh, she was, I guess, having problems with drugs or something when she was young, and her mom decided that she. she She's gonna get have her get a lecture from Cary Grant. Well, and we just have to say her mom, of course, is no. De De Sorry? Debbie Reynolds is her mom, of course. Yeah, Debbie Reynolds is her mom, and so he, she, she she made Cary Grant. And apparently, Debbie Reynolds didn't know that Cary Grant was, you know, just, LSD you know, stoner. Excellent a stoner. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have so Cary. All Carrie she got was over. these lectures about how great LSD was. Fantastic. I bet. I bet she did a lot. Uh, could be. I don't know. She didn't say. Wow. Yeah, Eddie Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds were her parents. Yeah. So uh, it was very amusing. The show, which is one of my favorite shows, and I have to still look it up because I just watched it the last night before before I went to bed. Um, I guess they're taking it off of AMC, and they're either killing the show or they're moving it someplace else. I've never seen it. It's a great show. I'll, say, I'll make a, a, a copy. No, no, no. Of the show. If you just tell me when it's on, then I can log into the Slingbox. My choice: Detroit or Hawaii. 
Yeah, and it's I, on at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and then they do a repeat showing some other time during the week, which I don't know. But you can look it up on the AMC channel okay, uh, guide cool. on online. Yeah, cool. And uh, it's called Shootout. It used to be called Sunday Morning Shootout, and they changed it to Shootout. And it's you know they essentially it's an inside baseball show. They have Bart and Goober, and the two of them who are and especially Goober is astonishing in terms of his just the stuff that he knows and all the stuff he's done. But they have all these different people come on that are all these people that you'll that will never show up on a talk show because they're just too shy or all they want to talk about is the business they're in or they're uncomfortable in most venues but on this show you got the you know the editor-in-chief of variety and this superstar um you know, executive producer type, who's also a professor at UCLA, uh, and they're very relaxed with these two guys, and they and you hear all this these interesting, you know, inside baseball anecdotes about the movie industry and what's going on and trends and how people are you know losing money or what they're spending. They had the guy who did. Um, Transformers, uh, that fa- famous director who does these big films. I can't think of his name. Yeah, the um, guy who uh, was was fighting against Blu-ray. He was. Yeah, I think I think it was in the HDVD camp. Or no, oh. I, th- I think it was angry because his film wasn't coming out on Blu-ray. That guy. Uh, yeah, that guy. He, anyways, I can think of his name in a second, or I can look it up, or people out there can look it up. Um, he's he was really. I mean, he's got a really terrible reputation. People don't like him, but he was. He was on the show, and it was just—it was so enlightening. But the most interesting thing he said was when they tried to get him to do the movie, and apparently it was Steven Spielberg that that talked him into it because he didn't want to do it. He says they—they—they uh, they, they wanted to, him to go to Canada instead of using his own crew, and he works everybody to death. You know, he makes him—he does like two, sh- you know, two takes and something like forty setups a day instead of the normal seven or eight, <laughs> and. He says he goes to Canada and he took one look around. He says, there's something wrong here. This is a scam. <laughs> really? He, said, he says, I'm going back to Hollywood and shoot this movie, you know, with my own people. <laughs> and it, nobody ever followed up on this, on this, this, this concept that he had. That the whole thing was the whole Canada deal, which a lot of movies are made up there, is yeah, some sort nice. of a is rigged. Some sort, something fishy about it. So, but it's all it's all just a tax write off, and it's it's supposed to be cheaper, isn't that the whole deal? Or is there something? Yeah, it's a tax write off. It's cheaper, and the government's you know up there supports some of it. But he didn't like it, like any any bit of it. I don't know why. He never went into any details. It probably, it, probably the labor. Um, he has to use local labor, I think, or something. I guess. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, and he that, didn't like it makes what a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Because I think Leo, when he would go up to that, uh, does he? He doesn't still go up to Canada for that nutty cable show, does he? I don't think so. Yeah, because I know that he would he would have Callie on, and they couldn't pay her or whatever. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. It was weird, but it all had to do with with regulations and uh, you know having to having to be. Uh, Someone special, uh, if there wasn't a, you know, a Canadian Callie Lewis available or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Which is, Canadian uh, which Callie is, Lewis. Yeah, which is very, uh, French. You know, the French have, uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely, the French have got these crazy, you know, they, uh, crazy. But, but I'm not against British. it in general. Uh, I like it. I like the fact that, uh, certainly in, uh, Canadian broadcast outlets, you know, an ex, certainly uh, on the radio, an X amount or X percentage of the music must be Canadian produced, at least. And I think that's well, a good thing. Well, they got enough music up there, they can do that. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I think we're done. 
Uh, you looked at the clock where we're running at 150. Holy crap. We shouldn't be doing that. Hold on. Everything's crashing today. Play, bitch. There we go. Okay. Uh, so next week, do you want to try phone calls? Yeah, sure. It would be, Why not? I, I would, what I was thinking, because I can identify where people are calling fun from. I thought it'd be kind of fun if we're talking about, so we're talking about Canada, you know, I could just say, okay, uh. Michael Bay, that's the director. Right. I could just say, hey, uh, listener there in Canada, come on in and uh, tell us what the story is, you know? Good try it. We have no one to screen the calls, which, you know, means that people would actually yeah, have to. Get, you suck and the guy's going to hang up. No, nah, that's, that would be okay, but it's, it's people go like, hey, how you doing? Or, uh, yeah, you know, just have nothing to say, or on a Skype. Skype headsets are the worst. It just is not, it doesn't work. If it's just a headset and, yeah. you're, and you're calling it, it sucks. It's absolutely horrible. Unlike our connection today. <laughs> okay, uh, coming to you from, uh, Gitmo Nation East in the United Kingdom. My name is Adam Curry. And I'm at Git West here in northern Silicon Valley, also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We'll talk to you again John next C. week. <laughs> we'll talk to you again next name. week. Let me get my name out. <laughs> Do it again. I'm John C. Dvorak. And we'll talk to you again next week right here on No Agenda.